Well, we're talking about five keys to being a kingdom community. And as I said, I probably could just put a slide up and say, see Mount Juliet, see Abundant Life Church, and let's go to the house. Uh, all right, Aunt B, we'll let you slide. She don't look much like Aunt B, but she calls herself that. The effect of fellowship on followers of Christ. Two Sundays ago, we talked about a disciple, be one, make one. And before that, we talked about rescue the perishing. And as I, I reiterate what I said earlier, these are five keys to being a kingdom, a community. Well, I got dyslexia in that, didn't I? A kingdom community. Can't blame that on anybody but me. I'm the one that typed it. Um, let me reiterate that these are not the only keys. They're just five keys we've identified from this passage. And, the, and we started with outreach and evangelism, and then we went into being, being disciples and making disciples. And today we want to talk about the effect of fellowship on followers of Christ. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 or your phones or your tablets or whatever it is you're using today, uh, we're going to read Acts chapter 2 again, and we're just going to read verses 42 through 47. And this is obviously the early church immediately following Pentecost. And uh, so if you'd stand while we read the scripture with me, if you can't, you're not going to bother me a bit. Verse 42, I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe or fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Everybody say together. And had all things in common. We're going to come back to that, not today, but a later Sunday. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You can be seated. Those who are being saved. We covered in an earlier session that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. It's interesting that some versions, including this one, say the fellowship, the fellowship of the saints. Um, to the breaking of bread, which uh, some thinks it could refer to what we just did, communion. Some think it could refer to just the breaking of bread with one another. You'll excuse me if I say it can apply to both. I don't think you have to eliminate. Anyway, and also prayers. You can't have a kingdom community without praying. Because if, unless you're connected to the head, you can't have the life. And the only way you can be connected to the head is through prayers. And so they're, they were devoting themselves to fellowship or the fellowship. And most of us have been around the Christian world very long, have heard the word koinonia numerous times. Uh, koinonia is the title of numerous ministries and coffee houses and all kinds of things. Uh, koinonia is just a word that means sharing in common or to have a social intercourse 
with one another or interaction and to have communion. And I don't mean just this communion, but communion with one another in our hearts and our minds. Uh, Koinonia requires intentionality on our part to engage in fellowship with other followers of Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't happen by accident. And you will always, and we'll talk a little bit later on about obstacles, but you will always be resisted if you want to fellowship with brothers and sisters, uh, because there's always going to be things that will get in your way. Uh, and, and to understand fellowship and to understand koinonia, we must remind ourselves that the early church was not an institution. They didn't have any 501c3s then. They just got together. The early church was not an institution, but it was a community. Uh, it was not an organization. They didn't know anything about organizations. If they did, they didn't apply to the church. But rather, the early church was an organism. It was a living being that God had put people together in an organic way not an organizational way. Now, there was a certain amount of organization in the sense that James presided over the council of elders, the council in Jerusalem, and you then you had the elders and the apostles and so forth that God had given us delegated authority, but it was not organization in the sense that we know today where we have a committee for everything and people vote and then leave. <laughs> Remember... That today it's no different while we are an organization and have to be an organization because of the local laws. And we have to be, well, we don't have to be a 501c3, but it helps for you to get tax deduction on your income tax. We're still primarily an organism. First, foremost, and in some cases only, we are a living being. And we need to hold on to that. We'll talk about it in a minute, but there was a dynamic element associated with their sharing the life of Christ together. It's not just being together, not just being in the same proximity, but something going on. And we'll come back to the word dynamic effect, but I want you to see that because they were together and because they were fellowshipping and because uh, they were sharing this life, the scripture says that fear came upon them. All A-W-E, came upon them because when something uh, causes awe to come upon us, that's because something is awesome. Some struggle with the word fear here because, you know, God's not, you know, God doesn't want you to be cowering in fear. We're just saying fear has no hold on us. It's not that kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that well, I look at God and he's humongous and I look at me and I'm not. I look at God and he's awesome. That's the kind of fear. And, and really, we need to see God larger than most people do anyway. And so they, there was something going on is what I'm trying to say. They weren't just going through the motions. They weren't just having a meeting. They weren't just, just voting on something. There was something going on to the degree that these people were in awe. Fellowship produces that. I'm going to go through some things that fellowship, the effect that it has on all those of us. And the very first thing we're going to say is fellowship has a dynamic effect on us because our fellowship begins with the Godhead. 
Well, I typed that wrong too, didn't I? Never mind. Our fellowship begins with the Godhead. I've got this statement by James Packer. He said, fellowship means common participation in something either by giving what you have to the other person or receiving what he or she has. Give and take is the essence of fellowship, and give and take must be the way of fellowship in the common life of the body of Christ. How many of us understand there is no life other than the common life? I mean, you, you can't have a different life than I've got. You know, one of the commissioners came up to me Thursday night, to uh, Commissioner Manis, James Manis, and he said, I want you to know how good it does my heart to see you pastors up there on that stage and not to see Baptists and Methodists and Assemblies of God and whatever else was up there, whatever the heck we are. Excuse me for cussing in church. But uh, he said, it does me good to see you guys forget all about that stuff and join your arms and stand together. There's only one life in Christ, one common life. So Packer goes on to say, Christian fellowship is two-dimensional, and it has to be vertical before it can be horizontal. We must know the reality of fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, before we can know the reality of fellowship with each other in our common relationship to God. What is he talking about? First John 1 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then if you add to that, 2 Corinthians 13 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our fellowship must first and foremost be rooted in and born out of our fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If what we call fellowship is not born out of that relationship, we, as I've said many times before, we don't have fellowship. What we have is a club. Now, I'm a member of the club. Y'all know what member, a club I'm a member of. The Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. But it's a club. It's not fellowship. And so our fellowship cannot be true fellowship unless we're fellowshipping with God himself. And that fellowship points specifically to the supernatural life of God that's given to and shared with humankind through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. It's the life that I receive from Jesus. It's the life that you receive from Jesus, which is the same life. And we share that life with one another through interaction, through communication, through sharing even sometimes physical things. But that life is shared with one another. If someone is outside of Christ, outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the body of Christ, we cannot share their life with us. We can try to share with them the life of Christ, but it's not actually a sharing in the sense of koinonia. Lord, help me. Another thing that that fellowship does, it gives us the effect of unity. True fellowship. It says in in Acts 1 that they were continuing daily with one accord. They were continuing daily in one accord. Again, these people came from all walks of life, all vocations. 
There were 120 of them. You can imagine if they had to have tried to have a a board meeting, what that would have happened. They did replace Matthias by throwing lots, uh, but they were in one accord. I don't mean a Honda either. (laughs) They were together. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says they were together in one place. I submit to you that was not limited to a geographical location. Yes, they were in a geographical location in the upper room. But the reason there suddenly came was because they were together in one place. And their fellowship had created a oneness and a unity among them. And what is unity? Is It's not uniformity. Unity is not our losing our distinctiveness. You may feel... Uh, uh, particularly with a particular emphasis on something, and I may have a particular emphasis on something else. And the trouble is, most of us, if we don't watch ourselves as human beings, whatever we're doing, we think everybody ought to be doing. Whatever we're seeing, we think everybody ought to be seeing. And the fact is, God takes all of our, all of His people, and we're all diverse, and we all see things differently, and we think differently, and we have different gifts, and He puts that together, makes the best quilt you've ever seen in your life. But if we were all the same, what a boring quilt that would be. I can guarantee we're not the same. The phrase that they may be one, it can't happen without fellowship. It's not going to happen. You can't just make some theological statement. We're going to be one. Well, you're going to have to have fellowship for that to happen. You can, you can claim it all you want to, but it's in reality, it's not going to happen until there's fellowship. Also, this is a key. Fellowship requires transparency and then it produces cleansing. I would submit to you that without transparency, there is no fellowship. And I, I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but I don't mean just throwing all your garbage out to somebody that you don't even know, but we'll come back to that. But fellowship requires our being transparent with one another. If we don't, if we are not unified enough are not together enough that we can share with people we know we can share what's going on in our heart we're not really fellowshipping you okay with that well you know what verse we're going to use but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. There's some dynamic going on here that when we fellowship in transparency and honesty with one another, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. It can't happen unless there's we walk in the light as he is in the light. Again, I'm going to come back to this, but that there are limitations to that. But again, fellowship provides the context... For supply and growth, which is from God. Colossians says the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The whole body, knit together. Say together. So through fellowship, you can't be together unless you fellowship. Through fellowship and being together and allowing God to knit you together. Scripture says that, David and Jonathan's heart were, hearts were knit together by God. If we allow God to knit us together as his people, then there's growth. 
Can I submit to you that there can be no real growth except that you have fellowship with somebody of his kids? Okay, if you don't agree with that, I'm sorry. You cannot go out into the woods by yourself. I'm, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but you can't have real growth without some of his kids around you. And not only some of his kids around you, but, ha- but, but a relationship with his kids that you can, again, be transparent with. That's growth. Knit together. That's growth. Fellowship evokes the dynamic presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes we want to limit this to a church service, and it does apply. But I want to tell you, it's probably uh, less that than other things. Uh, Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. I've always taken that as a, as a promise from the Lord Jesus. If two or three gather and you, you know, I, I, again, I got redneck Northwest Florida math, but that's one, two, or one, two, three. That's all you got to have. I was down at the uh, Carafim a week or so ago praying, uh, walking back and forth and praying that God would remove that blight from our community. And one of the ladies was apologizing to me because there wasn't enough, pe- wasn't very many people there. There was four or five of us. And I said, ma'am, it's, it, all you need is two or three. Right. It's nice to have more people, but all you need is two or three. And by my count, we've exceeded that total. <laughs> I firmly believe that when, when you gather together, two or three, Jesus said, I'm going to be there. Yes. I believe he is. And so our fellowship, and when I say together, I don't just mean sitting on the same bench, but together in our hearts. When that's happening... Jesus said, you gather in my name, I'm going to be there. And if Jesus is there, nothing but good is going to happen. Hmm. Now, this next one we don't like too much. Fellowship is the incubator for many of God's dealings with us. Could have gone all day long without dealing with that one. You say, well, God deals with me? Well, if he doesn't deal with you, you, you might need to check. You must not be alive. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. The the Hebrew there is really close companion. As iron sharpens iron, we know what with iron, you can take and rub iron against iron, and eventually you'll get the rough edges off. You ever met anybody with rough edges? You ever met anybody with rough edges that, that rubbed you with their rough edges? And you said, Lord, get this person out of my life. And the Lord didn't. Y'all think I don't have any stories outside of what Charles Simpson said. But Brother Charles talks about when he first became became a pastor, there was a lady in the church that just gave him all kind of trouble. Every week, she'd call him up Sunday afternoon, just dogging him about everything he did wrong and everything wasn't going right. And so finally one day he told his dad, who was still pastoring at the time, they had lunch every Sunday afternoon, the the two families. And he said, Dad, this woman is just driving me crazy. He said, every Sunday afternoon the phone rings. I know it's going to. And they didn't have caller ID back then that you could ignore the call. (laughs) 
And Brother Vernon, I just wish y'all could have known Brother Vernon. Brother Vernon says, Charles, you need her. So I need her like I need a hole in the head. What do you mean? He said, you need her. He said, and you will have her until you don't need her anymore. And one day, she went away. Because he didn't need her anymore. There's people in your life that you'd like to go away. They're going to stay there until you don't need them anymore. Iron sharpens. I don't like this. But I, I can't ignore it. It's the incubator where God's dealing. So you have relationship, and you and I'm, and I'm going to get to the negative side of this after a while. Anyway, so hopefully. You have relationship and fellowship with someone, and God uses that relationship to knock your rough edges off. Don't run from the relationship. Don't run from the fellowship. That's the easy way out. Let me tell you something. If you run, God's going to find some more rough edges for you. He's going to find another piece of iron to rub you up against. So just stick it out. Which brings us to the next topic. We need the incitement of our brother or sister to provoke us to love and good works. Any of you provoked? You will be. You will be provoked. And it's God's way because he said... Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews writes, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word stir up there is to provoke. It's to, it's literally to irritate. You ever been irritated by anybody? Or are you being irritated by somebody now? Let us consider how we can irritate one another. So that we are provoked to love and good works. It's within the fellowship. It's within the relationship that we find that place of incitement. That place of stirring. That place of irritation. And we submit to the process. And it provokes us and motivates us to love and good works. Or either we run. We receive strength to stand through fellowship. Two are better than one. Solomon must have grew up in northwest Florida too. Pretty good math right there. Two are better than one. And then later on he says, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is value to being together. You will not stand in strength if you're trying to do it by yourself. I've said for a long time, and I still hold to it, the greatest tool of our enemy is isolation. If he can isolate you, he can take pot shots at you. But if he, if you and I will refuse to be isolated, if we will refuse to disfellowship our brothers and sisters, and we will walk in that fellowship, then we will stand in strength. I shared at the men's meeting a few weeks ago that a stu- I read several studies, and I read another one that said they took one horse, and they found out he could pull 8,000 pounds. And so the the natural math, 
the redneck math where I came from would say that if one horse could pull 8,000 pounds, then two horses, go ahead, what you think? 16,000 pounds. Well, that makes sense. Except that when they added the second horse, they didn't pull 16,000 pounds, but they pulled 24,000 pounds. The sum is greater than the parts. And I want to tell you that when we're together as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, the sum is better than the parts. Largely because the king looked into the fire and he said, there's somebody else walking around in there. It looks like the son of man. And when you and I are together in fellowship and united relationship and we put our two, our strengths together, we find there's another strength that neither one of us had. Amen. And it's the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that dynamic does not work until we're together. Now, what about disagreements or strained relationships? We must face the fact that failed and strained relationships are a reality. I'm not going to have you raise your hand because if I had you raise your hand, if you've had a failed or strained relationship, every person in the room would raise their hand or be called a liar. And I don't want anybody looking like a liar. So we're not going to raise our hand because every one of us know that we have had failed and strained relationships. And I don't just mean with people out there that we don't know very well. I'm talking about people we've been close to. What happens? Listen to this. This is just, or watch this, the psalmist. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you. A man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. What happens? Every one of us can relate to that passage. We've had friends. We've had people we walked with. We've had people that we fellowshiped with. And for whatever reason... There was a, there was something happened or something neglected, and there's a strained relationship. In this case, it says it's an, not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it, but it's you, my friend. Mm. Paul writes to the church of Philippi. He said, "I urge you, you Odia, and I, I urge you, you Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord." What does that tell you? That they're not living in harmony. Again, this is not complicated. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement. Also, it wasn't the governor of Tennessee, by the way. Also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are two ladies 
who are on the front lines for the cause of the gospel. These are not, you know, people that are, are sinners. These are not people who've backslidden. These are not people who, who've walked away from their faith. These are women who are still on the front lines for the gospel, and yet they got something going on between them. And he, whoever he's writing this to, he said, would you help them get into harmony? I'm, I read that to tell you, it doesn't have to be somebody that, that you hate or somebody that hates you. It doesn't have to be somebody outside of the church or your body, the body of Christ. It can be the person you've walked with all along. And you know these two ladies, if they were in the company of Paul, they were in the company together. And yet he says there's a problem. They're not in harmony. Help them to get into harmony. It is possible. It is possible. Many of you remember the story of Barnabas and Paul attempting to go on another missionary journey. And Paul objected that John Mark had had deserted them on the previous missionary journey. Barnabas was trying to defend John Mark. Paul was having none of it. By the way, there's a two really two good personality classes right there. And so they went their separate ways. So Barnabas grabs Mark and they go that way. And Paul takes Silas and they go that way. Now wait a minute. These guys are going preaching the gospel. Now, I'm not saying we should have problems, but I'm saying you can have problems while you're in the midst of serving God and doing what you should be doing. (laughs) Later, that's in Acts 15, by the way. Later on, and I'm not going to go to the verses, but I want to just tell you, both Barnabas and Mark appear in the life of Paul years later. To the degree that Paul is complimenting Barnabas. Somewhere along the way, there was a reconciliation. Somewhere along the way, there was a reconciliation with Mark, John Mark, with Paul. What what happens when you have strained relationships? You do your best to live in harmony. You do your best to renew the peace You do your best to walk together. But don't be surprised if it's your friend, if it's your close friend. So I'm going to conclude with just some suggestions. Um, First of all, offer honesty and truthfulness without being brutal. (laughs) Well, bless God, it's Bible says, speak the truth. I told them the truth. Well, they're over there bleeding in the corner now. You you left out a part. It says speak the truth in love. There got to be some some, uh, tempering going on here. So offer honesty and truthfulness, but don't be brutal when you're dealing with one another. Uh, Secondly, communication is the key to harmonious relationships. When I do premarital counseling, uh, for those who are getting married, you probably had that figured out. I start off by telling them that there are three areas where most marriages fail. And one area is finances. One area is the sexual relationship. And one area is communication. And they're not necessarily in that order. And one area in any relationship that is the potential for failure is a communication or a lack of communication or a miscommunication. Communication is the key. 
And so because of that, don't let the monster grow. Y'all heard me say this, but don't let the monster, you got something, something little, something going on and you wondering about something somebody said, or you heard somebody said something and you're getting all stirred up and you're getting, uh, you know, Waffle House. What do you mean by Waffle House? Which, by the way, 109 is still standing. I don't know how that worked, but you go to Waffle House or any, and you sit down across the table from them and you don't get up until you got things straight. You look one another in the eye. Don't text. Look them in the eye and talk about it and get it worked out because nine times out of ten, something was said that was misunderstood. Something was quoted that was not a quote. I mean, there's some kind of miscommunication going on here or non-communication. Nine times out of ten, you sit down and you sit across the table from somebody, you look them in the eye, and they say, well, I, I thought you said I didn't say that. I thought you said I didn't say that. Here's what I think. Here's what I say. And you get up from the table and you leave and everything's good. <laughs> Waffle House got you some greasy food. <laughs> Don't let the monster grow because it will grow. Yes, it will. It'll, it'll be a little bitty teeny Nothing, and also before long, it's this huge monster that occupies your world and rules you. And all it is is a false monster. Hmm. Be proactive. If you're going to fellowship, you have to be proactive. You have to schedule. Uh, I've been chasing a local pastor for four weeks now to try to fellowship with him. About decided that he heard I had bad breath or something. I don't know. By the way, Don, I'm meeting with him tomorrow morning. Do what? Oh, okay. Well, I met this guy. So you gotta get, you gotta stay after it. Be proactive. You gotta schedule. And, and, and let me tell you what doesn't work. Hey, let's get together sometime. You know what happens? You never get together. Hey, maybe when things slow down. No, it doesn't happen. But when you say, uh, I got my calendar here. What, what, what's good for you? And I did that with this pastor. I said, I got Monday morning, 10 o'clock. How about you? He said, that's good with me. I said, I got it on my calendar. If you don't do that, you won't do it. I won't. Hmm. Which brings me to the next suggestion. That's to fight through the obstacles. Because there will be. If you're going to try to fellowship with somebody and spend time with somebody and share life with somebody, you can guarantee there are going to be obstacles. Fight through the obstacles. And I mentioned this earlier. Let your level of sharing correlate to the depth of your relationship. You don't walk up to somebody you just met and spill your garbage on them. Let me tell you about how horrible my wife is. Let me tell you how terrible my husband is. Boy, he he does this and he doesn't do that. He doesn't take out the garbage and he doesn't. And boy, and this is a person you just met and they're going, whoo, they're looking for a shower somewhere. <laughs> you let your sh- level of sharing correlate to the depth of relationship you have with that person. Now, some people you can share more than others, but you and only you can know that, but don't feel like that fellowshipping means you walk up to somebody that you just met. Oh, you're a Christian? Here, let me tell you some stuff. No. And here's another one. Here's another suggestion. 
Don't discount, quote, unquote, secular times together. Life is life. Have you ever been with somebody, fellowship with somebody, doing something? Maybe this past week you were out cutting wood or something. I don't know. And you got somebody in your company, and they always feel nervous unless you're quoting Bible verses or something. Oh, we got, we need to quote a Bible verse or something. Because, man, we, 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 we're not doing right. This is, this is quote, unquote, secular. Let me tell you, life is life. If you're together in church or you're together on a boat, or you're together in the backyard sawing up trees, you're together. And you can still share life. Don't discount what we would consider, quote, unquote, secular times together. Jesus told the disciples, he said, come aside. Let's go over here. And the really the Greek word really means to recreate or have recreation. He said, come aside over here and let's rest. What you mean rest? You're not doing anything spiritual. Shoot, most spiritual thing you can do is rest. I do enough of it, I ought to know. (laughs) And don't feel guilty if you're not doing religious things. Lord, help me. Because your life that you share with with one another is the same life. It's not secular life and spiritual life. Life is life. Okay, I beat that enough. Finally, expect Jesus to show up in some measure and form when you assemble under the commonality of Jesus' name. So if you're going to get together, expect Jesus to show up. Now, that may take many forms. You may take a, a really anointed discussion where you share with one another and you, you begin to see things and you begin to draw things out of one another. It, it could take a, a lot of different forms. But expect Jesus to show up in some way. When we're together. And I'll finish with just two verses. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Can I submit to you? And it's not, this is not in the verse, by the way. This is me. Can I submit to you that if there's if there's a encouragement from belonging to Christ and there's comfort from his love and there's fellowship together in the spirit, can I submit to you that your hearts can be tender in that moment and compassion? And he says in verse 2, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other or being of the same mind, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. If fellowship doesn't take us there, we don't really have fellowship. But we know that we are fellowshipping in most cases with the Lord Jesus, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we're fellowshipping with one another in the life and with the life of Christ. And then it brings us to that place where we can agree, we can be of the same mind, And we can love one another. And we can work together with one mind and one purpose. Because of fellowship. The effect. Amen. Stand with me.